Do you have siblings? Have you told me that? Yeah, I, I have uh, one brother and three stepsisters. What, what's your order? Where are you in there? The oldest? The, old, the coldest. The oldest. Okay. The coldest. The coldest. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that. City, yeah. City, how you feeling? Welcome to Center Cuts. I'm your host, Patrick Spray. We are here today with James McGee. How are you, James? Doing well. I'm doing well. How about yourself? Great. I may be the only one without a cocktail, though, and that may have to change here if we keep having glitches. We just whisked James away from his job, one of his many occupations at the American Jazz Museum, and we'll jump into that in a second. We are coming from James's porch my house and our producer Chris Mowry's at home. What's up, Chris? How's it going? Good. Another young man pulling double duty today coming home from Lemonade Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are super excited for Center Cuts episode 16. Today is March 30th. Of course, this will be dated. Uh, but I had to actually take some more notes than my usual notes. James has so many titles. I have known him through his work with the Mutual Musicians Foundation. He is on the board of directors He's also their creative director over there. And James, I'm sure you do about 25 different roles without official titles at the foundation. Um, and then recently, James, I'm going to say that was about November. You took a position at the American Jazz Museum, the senior manager of visitor and virtual experience. Was that November? November 9th. Yep. Okay. <clears throat> I'm glad you got your dates. James also um, has several companies, Blackbind Worldwide Media Group, which started as a record label. I'm sure we'll delve into that. And I would say just, I think a lot of people just know you as, maybe that's not the right title, you know, just Mr. 18th and Vine. You're just an entrepreneur. You're just an impresario. You're just a renaissance man. Are all those words, I mean, those good titles for you? Yeah, you know, kind of all forced upon me, but I, I just wear them, you know, so... <laughs> And, yeah. and in addition, James, an artist, too. I've listened to some James Noir. I remember seeing you at Open Spaces. God dang, time flies. That was already three years ago? Right, yeah. yeah. Out at the uh, Pavilion there in Swope Park. Um, but we, so we're so excited to have you. Thanks so much, James. We're going to just talk a little bit about a calendar. Again, we know it's dated. Anything on your radar in the next few weeks, months? They don't have to be music related. They don't have to be some, some place you're affiliated with either. Anything going on? Yeah, yeah, we have um, the Mutual Musicians Foundation will be reopening our doors for our late night jam session, uh, April 3rd, that's a Saturday. Technically Sunday morning, because you know we're one to 5 a.m. But for, mm-hmm. for those, you know, it's, it's April, that Saturday, April 3rd, we'll be opening back up for our jam session. Uh, for now, we're gonna be open on Saturdays. Uh, traditionally we're open on Friday and Saturday, but we're going to see how it goes and kind of take it slow. So we'll be back in full swing on that day, at least, you know, uh, uh, keeping in mind some of these COVID uh, suggestions with masks and uh, certain social distancing that wouldn't permit it in the space. But yeah, we'll be doing that uh, Saturday, April 3rd, 1823 Highland Avenue, Kansas City, Missouri, right there at the uh, historic Mutual Musicians Foundation. 
Uh, the, I, American, the American Jazz Museum has, oh, one thing, other thing about the uh, foundation. Well, this one, well, this may not air. Well, I want to give a, a, a shout out to um, Sura Eats, uh, Chef Kyung there, um, Canby's Markets, um, Mary Block, and the uh, Prospect Urban um, Eatery. Um, and I, I hope I'm not leaving anybody out, but for the last month, they've, they've uh, hosted a, uh, a food, a dinner for the musicians on Mondays and Wednesdays. I know by the time this airs, that might be over. We're doing our last one this Wednesday, um, April, March 31st, tomorrow. So I just want to thank them. That, that was something that was going on. And we may continue some stuff with uh, Sura Eats. Uh, chef, the chef and I have talked about it and we talked about hosting some things for musicians and for the community there at the foundation, just kind of doing something different. So that may be coming up. I don't have dates on that yet, but we, we have we have been in discussion about it. Nice. Um, hey, I'm so glad you brought that up. I've seen you post that regularly on Facebook about meals and I've, I've you know, suggested that to several of our artists and other artists I know. That's, that's Korean food, right? Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, maybe you know that my wife's Korean, so our son. Yes. But, um, that, that's such a beautiful thing you do. Can you tell me when when was the last jam session there? Do you remember the the last night of a jam last March, April? No, we we did shut down in March around March twelfth when everybody shut down. Okay. Um, we reopened. I think about July. Mm -hmm. We had a run from about July until October, and that okay. wave started coming. And then right. we've been shut down since October 2020 until now. Yes, sir. Because when we did the Found Sounds of KC outside, yeah, the Black Creatures and yeah. Desmond and Ernest, mm -hmm. I want to say that had just changed from the city, right? Right, right, right. Okay. Mm -hmm. yep. Okay. Yep. okay. Um, and then you were, so that's exciting. That's this Saturday, back in action. Um, were you going to say something about the jazz museum? Was there something else on your calendar? Yeah, the American Jazz Museum. Uh, we've had some great uh, digital content uh, over this um, past year, uh, you know, kind of working around not being able to be open, uh, being a shuttered venue, so to speak. Um, so we, we have some uh, great content coming up. Uh, the content that we have coming up this week uh, would be our rap jazz uh, show that we did at the gym, but but that will be up on our YouTube page. So all the all of the shows we've done over the past year, the majority of them are on our YouTube page, mm -hmm. uh, the American Jazz Museum YouTube page, and also some of the programs on our Facebook. So we invite people to just to kind of go browse through that and check out some of the stuff we've done over the last year. We had some really cool performances um, with Jazz at Noon, uh, hosted by Gerald Dunn, our uh, senior manager of entertainment. Um, uh, Mr. Quez Beasley is the one that produces our uh, fourth Sunday tribute shows. So all those things have, we have some great content with that. And then we do have uh, the big thing at the uh, American Jazz Museum. We have our $101,000 uh, uh, to August 29th, Charlie Parker's birthday uh, in the yard. We're doing a fundraiser for the Jazz Museum. For those who don't know, it's a nonprofit organization and we are a community service here in Kansas City. And uh, we're doing a fundraiser to reach $101,000 by Charlie Parker's 101st birthday on August 29th, 2022. Uh, we have some programming coming up around that. And then of course, we're going into April, which is International Jazz Month. And we have a lot going on there. Just stay posted on our social media um, accounts. 
And the last week of April, we'll be actually hosting a um, International Jazz Day week. So we are partnering with some of the um, restaurants and organizations down in the 18th Divine District and creating some programming. Soiree, we're doing, uh, uh, they're having a show there. The Corner Cafe is having a show. The Juke House is having a show. The Mutual Musicians Foundation. And they're all doing shows with uh, themes centered around jazz legends and jazz greats. And, um, and then we'll be doing a, a finale show at the um, uh, American Jazz Museum on April 30th, which is actually International Jazz Day. Man. And those gonna... will be hybrid events. So I think we can have, we'll be virtual as well as having some people in person as well. That's, we're going to have to get some of those links in the podcast once we get it up. But I have to say, you really all have been pushing out some seriously excellent programs. I saw Glenn North. Yeah. We go already. I already yeah. mentioned I'm yep. firing up about the program on Wednesday. I want to see Amber yeah. Underwood and Effie. That looks like a killer. And, and you know, the beauty is you, you've kept it all. You can, you can find that because I mean, people got schedules, right? We're supposed to be working. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little overwhelming. There's just so much stuff out there. It's like, whether it's a podcast, a video, a, a mm-hmm. Facebook live stream, it's like, I want to see it all. But by having it there preserved, you know, you, you can carve out that time if something's really important to you and, and check out what you want to check out. Right. Busy. Right. And, Absolutely. I, and I did see the announcement uh, with Ms. Phillips Mayor Lucas spoke uh, about the 101, mm-hmm. the fundraising of everybody. It's, and we'll talk about that later in the program too. I took my students there for a decade and yeah. you know, every time learned something new. It's just a right. phenomenal institution and the foundation. Right, right. Uh, Chris, you know, I got to bother you just real fast too, because this is a big upcoming weekend for yourself. Yes. <clears throat> yeah, Lemonade uh, opens uh, this weekend is or when you're listen, when people are listening to this last weekend, so we open right. on uh, Friday the second uh, with Men and Men and Various Blonde. Then Saturday was uh, Spring Affair with DJ CB Cruz and DJ Bill Pyle. Uh, but then the the weekend, uh, the upcoming weekend of of the week that this releases, so the ninth and the tenth. The ninth is True Lions, Crystal, Kaleidoscope, and Cujo, and then the tenth is Freedom Affair, uh, two sets. And that'll be, that's going to be a hot one. That one's going to be, that one's going to be fantastic. Uh, then we have the next weekend off. I think I'm pretty sure that's to give us a breather. And then we have uh, some more shows coming up and we're going to be out there till October um, or like through October this year. Um, so we're, we're going to be out at Lemonade Park every Friday and Saturday for the most part. And uh, Wednesdays starting in May. Uh, with Screenland Armor partnering up with us, and we're doing some films out there as well. That's fantastic, um, James. I imagine you probably aren't getting out as much with the newborn, but um, if you haven't been over to Lemonade Park, it's a really interesting setup. Um, and again, our listeners—I won't bore them with all the details right now—but it's a super safe space. That the, all all four evenings, Chris just mentioned, the next two weekends are packed. The ship right down the block also will start music that same Friday. And I mean, pretty much, I feel like I'm going to be back and forth between those two places, both nights. My wife is probably going to leave me soon. Um, <laughs> I just think, I just think, and I'm not the only one. I mean, yeah. my wife's going to leave you, but people are so eager mm-hmm. to be around music that right. I just, you know, and hopefully people are safe. Hopefully people are getting vaccinated and continue right. to practice good, 
good measures and mask up and distance out so that we can have, you know, a return to, I mean, you know, you're an artist. It's, oh, it's yeah. it feeds you, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, wow. Uh, and I'm sure we're missing some, everybody just, just stay tuned on both uh, the foundation's website and the jazz museums for those events. Lemonade Park's got it all clear for you. Get your tickets for all those events. Back to Center Cuts. We are here with James McGee. Still breathing over there, James? I'm here, man. I'm here, man. Just just uh, cutting off all distractions to make sure I'm, I'm zeroed in here. <laughs> this guy, everybody, has got like 10 cell phones. Chris and I are <laughs> blown away. He, he calls us on the iPhone, zooming from his car. <laughs> then he gets home, switched on a couple of his organization's channels. I think he's got like just a control system over there. You can probably just mix this out. A little workflow, a little workflow, yeah. Chris, you just take the day off. He'll, we'll get James. <laughs> okay. Um, so, James, we just like to basically just delve into your life. And from what I know of you, you're kind of like a man between two states. I feel a California and then Kansas City connection with you. You want to kind of... That's my standard right there. <laughs> All right. I didn't know I wonder what that said. I thought it was maybe yeah. a... Monarchs, but a homestead gracious. Uh, <laughs> you want to give us the rundown? Like, you don't tell us your whole life story, but are you from KC and then went to California? No, I was I was born and raised um, until my teenage years in uh, the Bay Area, California okay. Bay Area. Okay. Um, specifically, a, a little town called East Palo Alto uh, and the South San Francisco area, and then later on in the East Bay, San Jose. Uh, Milpitas thing in, in that area. So um, half my family's out there in California and the other half were here in Kansas City. Uh, so when I was, I guess a teenager, I came out to Kansas City and lived here for a couple years, went back to California in high school, came back to Kansas City and went to college. And then I've been here since then. Did you go to Lincoln when you came here? High or, school? Or middle, or when no, you I, went to Grand, I went to Grandview High School. I went to Grandview, go Bulldogs. Yes, sir. Somebody local appreciate that. <laughs> no, no, and I actually, I was looking for my notes. I try to remember the first time I met you. I'm guessing it was fall maybe of 2017. I was bringing my students yeah. out to yeah. the foundation in order to the Black mm -hmm. Archives. Maybe a little bit before that I'd seen you or, you know, just kind of talked to you. And then we met and I got, a, I got about three pages of a notebook full of your life. I just could not find that damn thing. <laughs> okay, so yeah, that's yeah. So, and I want to talk about that transition from California to the Midwest in just a sec. But
Was your family originally from, what were they doing out there? Well, they, they came to um, California. I guess my family started moving from Kansas City to California in the uh, late, mid to late 50s. Okay. Um, you know, they were getting out of Kansas City. Right. They were getting out of Kansas City and going to, going, to, going to the West Coast. Um, a lot of musicians in my family, a lot of uh, free thinkers and entrepreneurs. Um, my family, um, especially for a black family at that time, was a very um, liberal, progressive thinking family. And uh, uh, with the work out there in the Bay Area, with my grandfather being in the military and the shipyards out there and all that oh, stuff yeah. in the Bay Area, the opportunity was more vast. And they, got, they just kind of want to have a, open things up for their family. So half of them, really at one point, all of my Kansas City family was living in California, and then some of them chose to come back. So, um, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. now my I mother was born out there and everything, and, and her mother, but then uh, at some point, some of them decided to come back, and some of them stayed out there. Okay. To yeah. me, Oakland is such an interesting place, and that's actually where I met my wife. I, no mm -hmm. offense to San Franciscans, but it's mm -hmm. just a little snooty and a little... <laughs> and again, a little bit. I, yeah, I, yeah. This is even pre-tech. I lived there yeah, like yeah. in the '99 to 2003. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, and then Berkeley again. I consider myself open-minded, but sometimes yeah. you can be so liberal that you're not liberal. If you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Berkeley, I couldn't handle it. But Oakland, Oakland to me yeah. was an interesting, just dichotomy mixture of. All different races, all different yeah. classes. You'd see some skate punk next to an old man in a three-piece suit. Uh, yeah. And again, down by like the shipyards, like Lake Merritt. Oh, I feel Yeah. yeah. So, damn, do you, I mean, do you ever think about going back there? You, you still have family out there, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. My dad's out there, uh, you know, my, my grandmother on my father's side. Like my, whole, my father's family, as far as my uh, aunts and uncles and cousins, they're all out there. Okay. Um, and they they were they were I guess maybe you could say uh, prudent enough to kind of hold on to what they got. So when everything started to raise up, they were they were secure. You know what I mean? It's yeah. different for somebody to kind of like move back, especially living in Kansas City. Move back where you're talking about you know my mortgage may be seven hundred, maybe a thousand dollars, and I go to go to the Bay Area, my mortgage is like five thousand dollars. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's not for, for a one bedroom, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. I, I don't get it. I don't see how yeah. people can buy homes out there. I think you yeah. just had property or, yeah. well, okay. So you've already mentioned you had some music going on in the home. Mm -hmm. Parents, music, your family, music lovers or actually artists themselves. Yeah. You know, we, um, it, it, it's a funny saying for me in my family. It's like, uh, there's three P's, you know, uh, players, pastors, or poets. So you might be a pimp, you might be a pastor, or you might be a poet, a musician, or something like that. So we, we, have, we have that whole mix of things going on in there. And of course, coming from Kansas City, the Bay Area, and that whole underworld and all that stuff that went on with it. Sometimes the uh, poets were players, and sometimes the pastors were poets. And you know what I mean? So that whole creative thing of that, that mentality of, being a creative thinker and outside of the box and not living um, within regular social norms, you know, like a, a nine to five person. That's mm -hmm. kind of what my family encompassed. Um, my mm -hmm. grandfather, um, um, uh, Tootie Gatson, 
um, was a, a, a well-respected and well-known um, R&B musician from Kansas City that went out to LA and did a lot of um, things to kind of push that Kansas City R&B scene out in the West Coast, cut a lot of records. His brother, um, James Gadsden, is a drummer and he's actually done uh, work with so many artists. I mean, from Herbie Hancock to um, uh, uh, Bill Withers. Uh, the last project I think he worked on was with D'Angelo. My uncle's like 85 years old. Mm. And he's, he's a session drummer. He still requested uh, people like Questlove kind of tout him and, and speak highly of his whole thing. And he's probably one of the most um, emulated drummers as far as being in the pocket and that kind of style he came with. Um, that's your so, uncle? Yeah, that's my uncle. That's my grandfather's brother. Yeah. Okay. Great you uncle. Okay. You mentioned him before. So, I mean, it's just kind of, that's just what people, some people in the family did. Right. Exactly. 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 Any, any particular types of music you gravitated oh, to? I, sorry. I just, I just realized who James Gadsden was. I've seen him do a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's, he's, yeah. Uh, he's more recently, he's been doing a lot with um, Wolfpack and those, those guys out of, uh, they're a bunch of like soul musicians out of, uh, Michigan. Um, and yeah, been, yeah. He's been on a bunch of their records. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. What, Very nice. What were the sounds that you were listening to at home? Somebody have a record player, or were you listening to different you styles know, of music or everything? It, it's it's funny because I hear about musicians and people that are involved in music uh, or that choose it for a career say, "Oh, I was surrounded by music. I was always there was always music playing in the house," and I kind of took it for granted. I really, I wasn't surrounded by music in the sense that most people talk about it. What I say more is that it was just always present. Like we're in church, the choir singing. Uh, we're, we're at the house and somebody's rehearsing. So it wasn't like we were just listening to it on the radio. We were mm -hmm. kind of experiencing it as it was going on. Mm -hmm. You know, like with my, my uncle and my, my grandfather always being in bands and rehearsing and you know, what I mean, so the so the the influence of music that I have actually comes from the musicians themselves, as opposed to some people who are influenced by actual styles, genres, particular artists. My whole thing was just like, I'm listening to the tambourine, I'm listening to the drums, I'm listening to the guitar, I'm listening to how the pastor, my my uncle, uh, is preaching and how he, the cadence in his voice and all of those things mm. are kind of influencing me. So then when it comes to my era, when I started getting involved in hip hop and things of that nature, all of that stuff kind of came with it. So it was less of a being surrounded by music and more like just being immersed in it constantly. All the conversations in the family were always about music and what Uncle James is doing over here and who he's working with or uh, how the choir was singing. So it was just kind of like an inner thing, you know. So that's, yeah. that's kind of how I explain it, yeah. I hear you. Do you have siblings? Have you told me that? Yeah, I, I have uh, one brother and three stepsisters. What, what's your order? Where are you in there? You oldest? I'm the oldest and the coldest. The oldest, okay. and, oldest and the coldest. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's great, James. Um, no, I'm just saying, like, little bro, big bro wasn't passing you down records or something. You were really absorbing it. No, no. no. My, my, the, the big, the closest thing I had to a big brother was my uncle Reggie and uh, he was living in LA. 
um, with uh, his uncle, my, my great uncle, his uncle, and my grandfather. And um, thank you. And um, he was, and you can look this up, Chris. You can have, have, have at it. He says he was the first West Coast rapper to, to do a record. That may be debatable, but I would definitely say if he wasn't the first, he was in, the, in a handful of maybe five. Because I think he put his first rap album out uh, under the name The Plain Rap Band in 1982. Mm. And my, my uncle That'd produced be- that. So he's the one that kind of introduced me into, okay, this is what your generation is going to start doing. You know, we play the instruments, we all play instruments, but this rap thing is what is is what you can do. Like, this is what the kids are going to be doing. And he moved up to um, the Bay Area from L.A. because he was tripping, getting in trouble down in Los Angeles, running around doing what kids do in L.A. when they're when they're in that crowd of celebrities or whatever you call it. So... Uh, and he kind of was the one, he was my cool uncle slash older brother that kind of put me on to the girls like this. And, you know, it makes you look cool and you can dress cool. So he was the one that did that. Wow. So my, my question would be, um, how, how old did you say you were? I'm 44. 44. So you're, mm-hmm. you're like upbringing is you're, you're like listening to jazz music and all of a sudden it's not jazz music you're listening to anymore. It's hip hop. Did that really it really it was funk and R and B and soul. R and B and soul and funk specifically. Yeah. For specifically funk and soul. And mm-hmm. then it went and there was a quick flip of modern R and B and then it was just hip hop. It went yeah. from like funk to hip hop, yeah. you know, for me. So you, you were roughly like 12 when you moved to KC? Uh, the first time I moved to KC, I was 13. I went here for junior high, like seventh and eighth grade, moved back to California, and then came back my senior year. Graduated. Like 90? Like 1990 first time? Yeah. 1990, yes. 1990, yeah. Too short around at that time? Or uh, <laughs> not that Listen, old? 40 now. Oh, no, I am. Listen, I'm too telling short. you. Yeah, too short would have been right around that, that period. Not my, my uncle, well, and I, when I was in the Bay Area, and I tell my kids this all the time, like, man, y'all, can you cuss on this podcast? I don't know. Anyway. Hell yeah. But I'm like, I'm like, I'm like the shit y'all listening to, yeah, it's, it's crass and all that kind of stuff. But I'm like, when they were saying that stuff in, like, the mid-'80s, it was definitely, like, we've been desensitized to it a bit at this point. You know what I'm saying? After uh, uh, Two Live Crew and NWA, and now it's just like, okay, that's par for the court. But um, I remember riding with my friend Danny Menjavar, one of my best friends back in California. We were probably, like, 10 years old, bumping Two Short Freaky Tales and all that 
crazy stuff he would say, riding our bikes with our boom box attached to mm-hmm. <laughs> So, But my uncle was friends with all these guys, like Too Short and MC Hammer. And so we would go to their house and listen to them work on demos and stuff like that. And my uncle was kind of in the mix. So we kind of just thought they were, um, we didn't look at them as, as like international or national rap people. We just looked at them as guys around the way. Yeah. You know I mean, yeah. There's a, there's a wrist tradition out there. I was really into uh, digital underground. Oh yeah. Those guys. My, that my first big show was digital. My first big opening for a national artist was digital underground. 1990. Maybe it was 1991 or 92. I, see. I, opened, I opened for them in uh, San Jose. Oh, okay. Um, it was digital underground. Um, See, it might have been earlier than that because Tupac was still, I think, like, he hadn't come out, but he was with them, him and Money B and Digital. That's right. They were, yeah, they were all together. Yeah. That's why I met him and I opened up for a show for them. We had a talent contest and they were like the headliners of the actual after the talent show. Uh, we, we took second place. Somebody shot the talent show up. So they, they didn't, only person that performed was Money B because Digital Underground was like, we ain't <laughs> fooling around. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah, it was interesting. It was interesting. Good time. I saw them at the Kemper with Public okay. Enemy. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Big Daddy Kane joined them, no less. And it yeah. was Kid and Play. And uh, like a festival? Hell? What is going oh, on? Oh, phenomenal. <laughs> I still, I still when, when was that? When was, that had to be like in the 80s. No, this was like 90, 91. I'm sorry. Got, I'm eating my story eats oh, right now. My, this is my story eats from Kyung. So shout out to him. This, I, I grabbed some food too. So hey, man, that's like some. That looks like some. Uh, that's what my wife's making tonight. It's like kimchi chahan, like fried rice. That looks awesome. I have no idea, but it tastes um, great. So <laughs> okay, okay. Um, well, then maybe last question, music wise. I want to talk about your career. Did you were you formally trained like in music? Did you? have any lessons subjugated on you whether it was singing or instruments or did that come later when i was five sorry my, my, my grandmother put me in um piano and i did that for maybe three months and then mm-hmm. I, just, I just kind of took off on my own and okay i don't think they like the piano instructor so they didn't want me going back to that school for whatever reason my grandfather, Titty, gave me a guitar, so I started fooling around on that. I would have continued to play on the guitar, but I was tightening the strings one day, and they popped and hit me in the lip. I said, I don't fool with the guitar anymore. So <laughs> I never touched a guitar again. But piano, uh, when I was younger, I did have a little bit of formal training. And then, of course, um, band. When I was at Grandview, when I was at Grandview Middle School, that was a great band program. Um, I cannot remember the band director's name, but that was a great program. I sat second chair saxophone out of two chairs. So <laughs> my boy Tommy was first chair. And that's where I really started getting some formal training on like reading music, harmony, melody, how uh, compositions work together, arrangements was at mm-hmm. Grand Middle in that band program. Mm-hmm. So you came to middle and went back and then came for high school. What was that transition like to Kansas City? I mean, I God, hated that it. had to be different. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm just, yeah, you, and, and that's, that was my main thing. I mean, I love Kansas City as far as the community. 
you know, it's, it's yeah. but the weather, man, I'm, I'm a California kid to the core as far as my skin temperament, the weather, I, I don't care. I've never gotten used to it. So yeah, it's, it's, like, uh, yeah. it's like, well, 50 something out right now. And you got a yeah, hoodie on a scarf. Right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You, yeah. Everybody else is killing, walking around. I'm, I'm all bundled up like it's dead of winter. So yeah, yeah that's, but you know, Bay Area. I, I, I appreciate coming to Kansas city because the thing that I got in Kansas city that I wasn't getting in the Bay area was, uh, to be real about it was the depth of black culture and community. Not to say it wasn't out there in the Bay Area, but you have so much cultural diversity out there. It's almost like a, it, nobody really thinks about it. You know what I mean? Unless you're somewhere where they're really kind of, you know, maybe up north way, up northwest or something like that. But, and not to say that there's not uh, racial things in California, stuff like that, but all of my friends were Filipino, Vietnamese, Mexican, uh, El Salvador, black. So we didn't, re I didn't really get that, that same experience you get in Kansas City where it's so uh, polarized and you kind of have to learn about your people and you kind of have to see how the other side lives and why is this division going on? And that really kind of um, contributed to my growth, really. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. And that's what I was saying before. Like there's so many different kinds of people there that nobody's different. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Segregation. I mean, there's certain, there's certain ethnic neighborhoods, of course. Right. Right. No, mm -hmm. everybody's, you're just, you're just a human being. Yeah. 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 And even if, even if they don't believe in their hearts, they act like it. Right. So, you know what I mean? So it's, it's not, it's not proper there to act like a racist or act like something that would, you know, it's, it's not accepted in the same way. You know? Good point. Good point. Okay. So let's, so we're in Kansas City now. We're done with high school stuff. What What's the next step? I'm trying to remember if you had told me that too. Did you do some like traveling as an art, touring as an artist then? Did you go into that or you continue? Uh, the, choice was to, the choice was to go back to the Bay Area uh, or, um, well, it was really going to college. So it was like college. Where am I going to go? Yeah. And, uh, at that time, like many other artists and people who were doing business, some girl kept me tied down to Kansas mm -hmm. City. You know what I'm saying? Some woman. Some, I'm like, I don't want to be too far from her. So I went to UCM okay. uh, in Warrenburg and, uh, sure. and had a great college experience there. You know, just, and, that, and then after that, that's when I started traveling and doing things after I got out of college. Okay. Okay. Yeah, UCM's awesome. I actually... They have a couple campuses here in Kansas City or in Lee Summit. Uh, did, did some work there. How do we fast forward to the foundation? Am I, miss, am I too big of a gap here? I feel like we just all of a sudden like jumped 10, 15 years. What, yeah. Or maybe the no. foundation. What led to your involvement in, are people calling it the district now? I still call it 18th and Vine. I hear some different. They would like to call it the district, but I, I, I think that um, – the historic designation is the 18th and Vine Historic District. Yep. Okay. <laughs> so without the 18th and Vine, it is not historic. Without the 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 meaning behind that, indeed, uh, it's not a district. It's just a neighborhood. So yeah. Did, was there something in particular that led to getting involved in the community there, or was it just a natural progression based off your you know just career as an artist or or starting the business, things like that? It was it was very unnatural. It was a fight uh, for me internally to be involved down there. 
uh, what happened was after college, doing a little music there, getting out of college, figuring out what I'm going to do, um, going back and forth to California and LA, working on music and doing things of that nature, building my career as a, as an independent artist. That was around 2000. So, you know, the independent music business on the hip hop side of things was really starting to kind of pick up and, you know, kind of develop and become a, a formula that people can use outside of what Too Short and E-40 were doing before. Too Short and E-40 back in the early 90s and mass people were a novelty. Right. By the time the 2000s rolled around, it was more more of a thing like you can do this. So I, I toured the country, uh, not only performing, but just um, doing the business side of the music business, stopping at one stops, mom and pop shops, setting up distribution, hand to hand stuff, the whole um, Southern region of the US, kind of that whole network was there. I spent about five, no, I spent about seven to 10 years doing that. So while I was based in Kansas City, I was on the road constantly down south on the East Coast and West Coast, building up my um, independent um, record label infrastructure. Mm -hmm. uh, so around 2010 is where things start to slow up a little bit. My oldest son started getting a little older. And then at around that time, I said, you know what? I'm going to focus on building something in Kansas City. And I opened my first studio was, I guess that was around 2009. Okay. I opened a studio on 42nd and Troost. And that's what kind of put me in the business of developing a label outside of just making music and start artist development and things of that nature. So I was on 42nd and Troost it was wild down there at that time. I ain't even going to go into it, but it was wild down on, on truce at that time. A lot of activity going yeah. on. So um, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. Is that studio still there? The, the building is there, but the studio is not there. Anymore. Okay. My studio is not there. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I, I started doing some work with uh, my, um, some partners of mine down on 18th and Vine. This was probably around, this was in between all that. This was, that was probably 2002 when I started going down to 18th and Vine. In 2002, when I was going down to 18th and Vine, um, it almost looked, even though it was redone and the jazz museum was down there, if you would go there at night, it looked like a ghost town. Yeah. So we were doing shows at a place called the Red Vine, which is now the Juke House. It used to be called the Red Vine. Uh, and it was owned by a friend of ours, Sabrina. Uh, and um, so she had that. We started doing open mics there. That was probably about 2003. And so that was my first taste of going down to 18th and Vine. But honestly, at that time, I could not see investing my time and skills. And there was just nothing, you know, you would really have to have an imagination and understanding. And at that time, I really didn't have an understanding of that area from a historical standpoint. Um, I did used to take my grandfather to the Mutual Musicians Foundation and drop him off at three, four, five o'clock in the morning with his guitar. I never knew what he was doing in there. Never mm -hmm. knew. I went in there. He would just say, hey, I need somebody to take me down to the foundation. He'd fly in from L.A., hang out with the family, whatever we're doing for that activity. He'd say, I need somebody to take me to the foundation. He's like, this is, what is this, a retirement home for, like, old R&B singers, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, so, and what the hell are you doing at 5 o'clock in the morning going out and doing it? So, but we never went in there. It was kind of like a respect thing. Like, that's his space. Mm -hmm. So um, that's why I started getting an understanding of, okay, there's something bubbling under here that's history that I don't really, I'm not privy to because I'm not old enough or I'm not um, studied enough to know what's going on. And then to make a long story short, out of all that, the way I really got down to 18th and my doing work there was I was having a conversation with my grandfather. I was living out in LA 
in about 2013. I was living with my grandfather in LA for, for a short time, trying to hustle and get it done out there, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, it came to a point maybe after, you know, half a year or so. I was like, I'm gonna go back to Kansas City for a little bit. Came back to Kansas City and I was talking to him on the phone. He was like, uh, you're not coming back here. You can do what you gotta do from there. This whole business is different. You don't have to be in LA, do it there. I was like, well, uh, you know, the, the infrastructure's not here. The, he was like, go down to 18th and Vine, him and my uncle. But you go down to 18th and Vine, you plant yourself in there, you learn the history, you learn about where we got our skills from, why we're, we have the place that we have in the music community. Then you'll, it'll start to reveal itself to you and you will find your place in that. And when they did that, I, I, I went and put a business, uh, rented a, a small space at the Lincoln building for an office and just started hanging around, waiting for something to happen, waiting for things to be revealed to me. And um, about 2014, October 2014, I, I went to the foundation. Somebody just happened to be outside. Anybody who knows the foundation, it's almost like a Masonic hall. No windows, can't see in, can't see out. It's just a building. Yeah. You don't know what's going on in there. It seems very, um, it's off-putting. You know, it's not very inviting unless you know what's going on there. So um, somebody was standing outside and they were like, hey, I was like, well, you know, my grandfather used to come here and, you know, I'm down here doing music and I don't, I'm not exactly, I'm an artist. I don't know exactly what I'm doing, but I'd like to contribute. And um, they were like, well, come on in. Here's an application and uh, we'll see if, you know, and of course, I name dropped my grandfather stuff. He was on the wall. So they were like, yeah, you know, we, we'll, we'll, we'll listen to what you got to say, at least, you know what I mean? So, um, and that's how I got involved. Being involved in the foundation is really what put me into the fabric of 18th and Vine, because the foundation is the cornerstone of that district from a music standpoint. Uh, it's the first national historic landmark in Kansas City uh, before the World War One was uh, and if people don't know how the level of designations go, a historic landmark is like the top in the U.S. It's, it's right. not a historic place. It's, not, it's a historic landmark, meaning significant things happen there that shape the culture and identity of the United States, mm -hmm. uh, specifically Kansas City Jazz. Mm -hmm. So that's what kind of really started pulling me further into. And as I started doing work for the foundation, other people in the 18th Divine District saw what I was contributing there and they were honestly like, well, if he can deal with them nuts over there, he must got something to you know, offer us. So that was that, the blessing of the whole thing. James, that's great. I, I've gotten bits and pieces of that. You really fleshed that one out for me. And, you know, again, I moved away in 2005 and then came mm -hmm. back to teaching job at Academy Lafayette. And somebody mm -hmm. said, well, I'm taking kids down to the American Jazz Museum, which I did. And then I said, yeah, there's this place around the corner, the Mutual Musicians Foundation. You could probably get one of these old timers to come play a couple songs for you. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And as I walked in and I saw that plaque on the front, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, it's yeah. a national historic landmark. We there are only two yeah. in Kansas City. That's I had right. That's no right. clue. Yeah. No yeah. clue. And yeah. you know, every single year when I'd bring parents over there, they're like, Mr. Spray, what is this? And I'm like, I don't know, but <laughs> let's learn more, ask questions, get your children involved, bring them down to the jam sessions when it's safe. You know, I just mm -hmm. felt so ignorant of our own mm -hmm. history. We talk about jazz yet. We really, no offense to Mr. Parker. Yeah. And, yeah. And 
we can even put Mary Lou Williams in that conversation these days. Mm-hmm. I really mm-hmm. enjoyed the series recently in the star and um, there's a great organization here, the Heartland Song Network that's been spotlighting Kansas City artists like recently Julia Lee, um, right. Eddie Miller. And I'm just like, oh my God, these women, these people are incredible coming out of Kansas yeah. City. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like though a really natural way to learn about it. you. You wanted to maybe make a difference or make a change. I'm sure California, yeah. it's tough too. So you figured out, I can, if I can figure out where the roots are here in Kansas City, I might be onto something. But I imagine that that takes time to develop those relationships. Yeah. Those yeah. guy, you know. Um, well, the thing was, the thing was when I when I was in the larger markets like New York or Los Angeles. I would get the same response and it would be you're more valuable to us if you can develop your market because I wasn't coming into the game as an artist. Mm. I was coming into the game as a, an artist and label executive, meaning I'm trying to bring a whole thing here. I'm not trying to get a record deal. So it wasn't getting a record deal. Wasn't hard. I, I got record deals with EMI capital. That wasn't hard. They, they love to get you in there and suck your blood. You know what I mean? But yeah. if you're coming in with some, with some actual influence and some power, you got to bring more to the table. And that's why, especially in the hip hop game, you saw regions being developed. Mm. Master P in New Orleans, uh, Rap-A-Lot Records in Houston, Texas, um, uh, Suave House in, in uh, um, uh, Memphis, Tennessee, the Bay Area, E4. They were, de- they were developing regions and cities. They weren't going to New York or LA to get a deal. They were developing regions. So, I was like, we have some artists here that are doing that. Like, um, you got somebody like Tech Nine, which whenever mm-hmm. I speak about him, it's it's a little bit of an, a, an enigma for some people because he's from Kansas City. He is like a Kansas City representative, but his style of music and his reach is so vast. It's not like it's not like you don't just look at it and just say, oh, that's Kansas City music or right. right. It's just like he's it's bigger than that. you know what I mean? Like so so I was looking at how to identify and pinpoint something that tied more into the uh the heritage of Kansas City, jazz, soul, R and B, and kind of fine-tune that and, and find that area. So those 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 labels were telling me, well, if you want to do something like that, you go develop the market. And that's what I've been doing for the last seven years, like developing an actual market where people kind of start to see an identity coming out of here. Even if it's just me showing up saying, hey, this is what we got to offer. We got 18 Divine, it's the home of, home of jazz, Kansas City Swing, and, and then this is what we're doing as far as artists. They like to put that together because that gives, whatever artists come from here, that gives them more push and more credibility. They have an origin story outside of just, I started rapping one day. They have a lineage to kind of tie back to. Right. Sometimes I wonder though too, there's just so much diversity in styles here, even mm-hmm. in in hip-hop itself or country or rock mm-hmm. is kansas city ever going to be able to have that kind of identifiable sound you know mm-hmm. I'm, of course the easy thing is i just think like atlanta you know mm-hmm. whole- i think of or i think of like chicago like mm-hmm. with with like hip-hop especially okay. like in chicago it was soul samples like yeah. always yeah. soul samples that was like right. and you knew oh that artist is from chicago um right yeah. Right. I, I don't know if I don't know if it's tough for me to say like it's it's too late for like Kansas City to be like this is the Kansas City sound especially in in that uh-huh. genre of music but 
it might be. I don't know. You know, I, and most of the people that we have that come out of here that are doing that stuff, they're doing like, we have a lot of like producers and stuff that come from here, yeah. like D yeah. dot, um, yeah. conductor Williams, yeah. like all of those guys are doing stuff. That's like they're and Dominic Sanders. All these people are doing really yeah. incredible stuff, but they're go, they're having to go out from Kansas city. They right. can't, they can't stay in Kansas city. They like reach out to artists that are, outside of the area to like get their name out there and get, yeah. get that, uh, right. get that recognition. Right. I, I, I think that um, that's interesting that you say that, Chris, because they're there. I have thought that to myself too. Like, are, where are we at? Where are we past the point where we can have a sound? And, and what people have tried to pitch to me about Kansas city is that, well, we're in the middle of everything. So we get everything. Okay, okay. We it do kind of have everything, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and from a marketing and sales standpoint, that just doesn't work with the average consumer. Like if we're really breaking it down to how, how consumers, they're not, most of them aren't musicians or they're not critically thinking about. They're just listening to the very surface thing. And, uh, you know, as, as artists and musicians, we like to get a little irritated with them, but it's not their job to dissect and analyze. You know, it's, it's, it's our job to kind of pull them into that. And um, you have to have something to kind of identify you. And I've, I've had this conversation with people. Kansas City, uh, it, not just with music, but it, it's, it's experiencing a bit of an identity crisis. You know, are we a big city? Are we a, uh, are we a small city or a big town? You know, are we, are we Midwest nice or are we more of a Southern type? You know I mean? It's kind of like, and something that somebody told me that was pretty profound from, um, I was speaking to somebody from Austin. I ain't gonna say who it is because people know who they are, but they were like, if you're trying to develop a product or something with music, a style, just say, just call it that and just keep pushing it on people. And then they will identify that as, <laughs> so if our sound is everything, then we have to intentionally say, this is the Kansas City sound. If it's hip shot killer, like the punk band, that's Kansas City punk. Like we have to, Mm -hmm. deliberately get behind them and push that so the rest of the world recognizes it that because if we just let them kind of free float out there people just attach their own thing to it, and that's what other regions do they'll say this is that this is you know and they'll kind of name it and claim it and push it out there so. i think the closest thing that we have to like a kansas city sound is those early jazz years where like everybody was here and then like in the late 90s early early 90s. Mid, to, mid to late yeah all the 90s where it was like this like midwestern like pro not prog rock that's not what i post 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 punk that stuff is like when you hear that you're yeah. like that's the midwest in the 90s yeah that's what that sound is yeah. uh like yeah. get up kids and all that kind of stuff like that sound yeah. is like yeah you know, uh, immediately go that's from somewhere in missouri or, or in the surrounding mm -hmm. areas, right? Like right, it's just right. Midwest, like post, right. post punk. Right. United yeah, definitely. Problem is that's twenty five years ago. That's what <laughs> yeah. I'm saying. But that, but, but also, but also think too, like, like when we talked about this with when Jackie Becker was on the show, that for a while, like Kansas City didn't have anything going on, and yeah. people had to mm -hmm. like, like to go have a good show, you had to go to Lawrence. Yeah. Like you weren't mm -hmm. having the good show in Kansas City, you know? So, like, mm -hmm. it just – and then it came back around, and now we're, like, having this kind of music renaissance here. Um, mm -hmm. But it just, it just kind of goes in waves sometimes. 
I was all right, I was all right, I was just fine. It was a night, it was a night in the half life. So I'm trying to go back to that first time, James, I think when I really sat down with you was to talk about the radio station. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and seeing, you know, how, well, I think it was that, and then also trying to think about educational programs for right. schools, you know, when like, I was just blown away, my kids, you know, looking at the pictures on the wall, hearing, you know, some older artists talk to us and getting the chance to perform with the kids sometimes. Um, right. Foundations, again, it's, it's been a challenging year for everybody. I'm sure that's probably a very overused phrase these days. Right. Do you feel like, um, there are some goals of the foundation this year. And again, if we do want to share this, we can talk about the Jazz Museum too. Like, is there, is like there a, a direction to increase its, I don't know, exposure or, can I just always go back to the education programs? I feel like the city should be supporting you and should be encouraging schools to come see what's going on there in the day. Probably don't want the kids down there at two o'clock at night having, you know, organizations or corporations support the vision down there. Cause I mean, seriously, it's mm -hmm. been around forever and it's, it's not dead. It's not, it's not Charlie Parker hundred years ago. The stuff you're creating mm -hmm. at two o'clock in the morning, this coming Saturday night is some yeah. edge killer stuff that people should know about. Yeah. Plus all the history. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's well, you know, and I've thought about this because you and I have had this conversation about, what the purpose of the foundation is or how it fits into the community or how the community views it. And over the last year, I've really kind of come to the understanding that one, if we get back to the original intent of uh, Musicians Local Union 627, that's what that was. It was the Colored Musicians Union. To use colored, it was not African-American at that time. You know what I'm saying? 1917, it wasn't African-American. Right. It was colored or Negro. Uh, and it was the Negro uh, Musicians Union or the Colored Musicians Union. Local 627 founded uh, March 2nd, 1917. Um, that was formed to protect the rights of the black musicians at that time, as well as give them a meeting spot to conduct business, to just address different concerns that musicians have, just like any other union. Um, and then when you get into 1972, uh, with uh, desegregation of uh, institutions, they did not have to have the desegregated Local 34, Local 627. So mm -hmm. then it just became, all those guys that were members of Local 627 just became social members of the Mutual Musicians Foundation. The thing is, those were grown-ass people that had life experiences. They, their educational uh, uh, contribution came from living it and doing it. The foundation um, doesn't fit well with being a, we're just going to turn this into uh, an educational opportunity for kids. That's not its original intent. What you need to have for that to happen is you got to have the old timers, which would probably be me now at 44, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> or Mr. Hathaway at 65 or whatever. Yeah. If, if we don't have a viable presence in that place, the kids or anyone else who comes to learn cannot get what they're supposed to get from that place. So you can have somebody like 
one of these uh, big organizations come by and donate $100,000 and set up a great educational program. But if you don't have the sauce, which is the people, the elders, the cultural content that goes with all that, it's, I mean, it, it doesn't work. And that's part of the reason why the foundation has never taken that persona on. Uh, and I had to really sit back and learn that because I went in there thinking, hey, we'll do all this stuff. Let's do this. And it's a national landmark. And we should be getting this grant and that grant. They were like, yeah, but let us tell you why we have to do go through these steps first. Uh, and to be quite honest, at the foundation, I mean, I've probably watched about eight people die in the last two years as far as they're just older, yeah. 89, 88 years old. Yeah. So without that sauce, and that's what makes it different. That's what would make it different than say going to the UMKC Conservatory or even at um, the um, at the American Jazz Museum, we have the um, uh, Jazz Academy program, which is a great program with yeah. Clarence Smith, Gerald Dunn. But they're they're teaching in a more academic way, and the foundation is more of a, hey, dude, if you're playing on stage and somebody throws a bottle at you, you better start playing like this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you better learn how to get the crowd. No one's gonna sit and listen to your ass. You know what I'm saying? If you ain't killing it, they're not gonna be polite to you. They're not going to listen to you. Um, they might try to stick you for your money because they don't want to pay you. That's what the foundation is there to teach, that real world. Like, now that you've gone to the conservatory, let us kind of show you what's really going to go down once you get out of here. And, and there are people coming from the conservatory to do just that, James, that I know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'll say. You know, Mr. Hath Mr. Hathaway sits there and he gives them the uh, – the experience that they need, you know, <laughs> and I'll, I'll, I've, I've seen, him, I've seen him many of night, somebody will come in from the conservatory and they'll get on the piano, the white piano downstairs. And, you know, Mr. Hathaway is real particular about that. Don't get on that motherfucker. If you don't know how to play it. Mm -hmm. So they're like, oh, I play. I'm coming. They'll start playing. And he'd be like, Oh, you know what the fuck you doing? Get off the goddamn piano. You know what I'm so, Because they're thinking from a technical academic standpoint, they're not thinking of, Dude, it's four o'clock in the morning. Everybody here drunk. They ain't trying to hear your technical prowess. They're like, they're trying to jam and feel it. You know what I mean? So you got to be able to give that to them. Yeah. So Mr. Hathaway is good for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I will I will say that the, the first and only time I've been to the foundation, because I feel like it, I'll, I'll explain. So the, the one time I went was after a, I, a band I managed um, had their EP release show at the Czar Bar. So, and the czar bar has been gone for years now, but this is yeah. how long this is. Is, is that when Tim and Dallas did had it or before that? Yeah, it was Tim and Dallas had it then. Okay. Uh, yeah. okay. And uh, like show was over. It was pretty successful. We didn't sell out, but it was like successful. Everybody felt yeah. really good. And it was like an emotional yeah. day. Like it was yeah. a good day. Um, my, my family, my uncle and my dad came and there was this uh, pretty lady with us. And my uncle was like, let's go to the foundation. And I was like, <laughs> what's that? Uh, he's like, yeah. Oh no, it's great. It'll it's open all night. And I'm like, it's two 30. Like nothing's open. He's yeah. like, no, 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 it's open. And so yeah. he drove us down there. We went and it was like one of those things where like, where like, cause I was pretty intoxicated when we got there. So yeah. I do, oh, I do yeah. want to say I was probably that annoying white guy. Who's just asking too many questions <laughs> while, while, while the old guy's sitting there playing piano. You know, just like bothering him downstairs and just like constantly bugging him. Yeah, we're used um, to that. Though. Yeah. The game. Uh, mm -hmm. But there's something about that place that's like, it's a hidden gem thing. And like a part mm -hmm. of it is like, 
yeah, you want it to be, to expand and be successful, but you also want right. it to be this, like the people that know, know, and the people that don't know, they don't really right. need to, like, it's not for right. them, right. you know? Yeah, um, that's right. That's right. Interesting. Yeah. Cause it's like, it's, it's not like a, it's not like a, a green lady lounge, right? Like you're not going to have, it's not going to be how that can get on like a Friday or Saturday where you just don't want to go. Cause there's too many people in there. Right. It's going to be right. like this spot you can go and like, have a great time but it's it's a different it's a different vibe it's like a jazz place but yeah but it's different it's different yeah and and that's what kind of and that's the mistake behind it it's it's a non-exclusive exclusivity you know what i mean like anyone can come but you right. gotta know about it yeah and we figure right. if you show up at the door then that's part of your membership like you knew how to get here you know well, I mean? so that was so, the thing too when we walked up in the secu- the the it's either police officers or security guards there i was like what are we, where are we going? <laughs> I was like, what's happening? Yeah. They're like, yeah, this doesn't close till five. So we can be here till yeah. whenever. And I was like, yeah. okay, yeah. sure. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. Well, let me, I'd like to say just two things. Let's talk about the jazz room just a little bit. I first, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Mr. Hathaway. Oh yeah. That gentleman has been so gracious to me and my students over the years. Um, and really everybody that's been involved with the foundation. I just can't say enough nice things about him. Cause I know I can be a, a pain in the dairy with my questions not late at night um yeah. trying to get him stuff because i guess i guess what i i'm interested in is not like spreading it to the masses it's just a celebration for me like the more i learn the more i just want people to understand oh, yeah. going. but the second thing is kind of what you were touching on there mm. james is the, the the union wasn't meant necessarily to support jazz music it was to support black music black and black musicians yeah right right, exactly yeah yeah you need to have a name for it although we just talked about we need to have a name to get kansas city on the here but it it was all types of things and to me that's what i think of jazz you've got blues you've got swing you got soul you got it all and again i just go back to the performance we did with um the black creatures I don't know how to even define their music because they're all over the place, R&B, electronic, but then you've got Desmond on keys doing all sorts of interesting things and then Ernest Melton on sax. And that night was so powerful for me. And we had, what, 30 people there. We weren't like blowing the doors off the place, but it was nice. It was nice. Nice. Yeah. It was music. It was the most joyous thing. And I thought this is Kansas city. You know, people need to know about it. And again, mm-hmm. I'm not suggesting making it a tourist thing, but uh, it, it would be a shame, though, too, if again, some of these older people, and I, like you said, I probably know a dozen people over the last 10, 15 years now that have passed, everybody from Monroe Nash to Lupin Hamza recently. It's sad. Um, yeah. Just keep, keep doing what you're doing there. Let's, let's, let's talk a little about the Jazz Museum now. So what led you to that relationship um and and tell us about what you're doing over there now that title's pretty weighty that i think that whole situation as far as what i'm doing at the jazz museum came from the um previous six years of work just ingratiating myself into the district and becoming um a little bit of a, a every man renaissance man yeah um being an artist being someone who's involved uh, from the business side with entertainment, understanding the community aspect, the people that live there, um, the surrounding community, uh, understanding the civic side of it, um, the the the, um, 
the leaders like the politicians and, and bureaucrats at the city hall and all that stuff. And I think what happened was, uh, just like my grandfather said, I pretty much created a place for myself. And I think with the Jazz Museum, with Ms. Phillips, um, as we kind of had a couple conversations leading up to uh, me actually interviewing up there and everything, um, I actually have to thank you now that I have you on here because when we were talking, um, it came up that although she had knew about me and had been, I had been, she had been referred to me as far as bringing me on the team. Um, when she came to the event with the Black Creatures, and mm. I gave her a tour of the uh, foundation, that's when she kind of got to see my understanding of things. Great. And how I can fit into what they, what she has going on in her vision for the Jazz Museum and where I would fit on the team. I think that was the first time she got a real understanding of my place because uh, my position to some people that would come down there knew could be intimidating. Mm. Like, why would I hire this guy? He's maybe he's more connected than me or knows more. You know, people can get competitive in the corporate world. You know what I mean? So they don't want to hire somebody that's going to. And I think that I'm not saying she thought that, but she was able to see where my um, interest was and I was genuine, authentic. And, and that's kind of what led to our, us having an actual conversation about me coming on the team. James, I mean, that, that's you right there. Genuine, authentic, and a hard-ass worker. Let me just throw that in there, too. Pretty, pretty fucking funny. Um, but I think that's great because I know, and maybe we can't say this on the air, but I'm going to. That has not always been necessarily a good relationship between oh, yeah. the Jazz and the Foundation. And I'm not, I'm not involved, so what do I know? Yeah. But but the fact that I think Ms. Phillips came and Armelia, Ms. Mason, I was, uh -huh, glad. Yeah. I was glad, like, yeah. come take a stab at this. Right. Check, look at the history. Right. Here. Have a young man. Right. Ed, educate you, but usher you into this because you should embrace it. I mean, talk about a tough start of a job. I, I met her at the Jay McShance celebration, okay. uh, birthday celebration, and then like two weeks later, freaking pandemic. I, I think, she, I think yeah. she'd been in Kansas City for like a week. So I imagine that's yeah. been a challenge. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I imagine you, so first of all, congratulations. That's I'm, I'm super excited for you. I, I, you. I know you've got a new board now. What's that a year and a half in? Um, yeah, yep, yep, yep. They're, they're, um, yeah. Cause they came on like, uh, right before Rash No, no, no. A no. year before? Board's been there before Rashida cause they were there with Mr. Cairo, who's the interim okay. executive director. Okay. And he did that for about nine months. Yeah. You, you mentioned a couple of events already. So again, it's the 101st anniversary, right? Of Charlie Parker's mm -hmm. birth. Right. Any, any thoughts just like on the vision or the, again, I'm always into education. I want to know what they're doing on the education side there at the Jazz Museum. Like, how are we going to get, that is a different place in the foundation. Like that's yeah. a place where you can come in, watch a film. That film I watch every time. I mean, I'm almost crying uh, yeah. about what led to people to force to basically be segregated. And it wasn't like, I don't want to go live with white people. That's not what it is. I need to be able to have access to a grocery store, sundries, yeah. Yeah. We need a funeral home. We need a newspaper. So yeah. they don't yeah. want us there. Screw them. We'll just make our own yeah. right here. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. You, know, you, you got the film. Then you start going into the blue room that you've got some nice hands-on things for the kids because the boys, they got to touch stuff. Um, <laughs> but I will say, I've always said, and I, did, I know I've mentioned to Ms. Phillips too in our brief conversations, there's got to be some programming in there. 
Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, and that and that is the place for it. That that is uh, not to cut you off. Sorry. That and because I really want to hit that point. That that is the place for it. Um, and the jazz museum really is supposed to be the culmination of all. If we're talking about jazz, right? And black American music in Kansas City, the jazz museum is the culmination of all that, as well as what jazz is nationally and internationally. It is the American Jazz Museum. It is not the Kansas City Jazz Museum, which is a right. pretty lofty thing to kind of take on. Yeah. But it's a, it's supposed to be that place that you can get you can get the found the experience of the foundation. You can get the experience of 18th and Vine. You can get the understanding of New Orleans jazz. You can, and it all comes together right there mm -hmm. uh, to educate and promote and preserve that that legacy. And what we're doing is uh, one thing I'll say off top is we're working on these virtual tours. Really, I, yeah. My position at the virtual tours I've started doing that have are actually proving to be pretty cool because you know if there's a school in New York they can still do a virtual tour. They may not be able to come in and do a physical tour. Right. And then from the virtual tours, we're kind of seeing how we can actually implement some added educational things. Well, maybe we got a music program we're dealing with at, at a school. How can we take that tour uh, experience and turn it into an educational music experience with a, a, a junior high school band or an, uh, a high school band? Um, so that's kind of, and that's really a big part of my position there. Okay. Because virtual experience visitor and virtual senior manager of visitor and virtual experience so there's one portion where the visitor experience when people come into the museum uh, whether they're a patron or whether they're a performer or whether it's programs we're putting on for people hosting or rentals and then also there's the experience of you know the virtual end if they're not in here in person how are they viewing it uh, from an entertainment and educational research standpoint online Mm -hmm. So that's the big part of what I'm doing is kind of developing that. So the educational piece, what I'm doing personally, I'm tapping into a lot of educators and I'll be talking to you more about this. And I'm really just picking their brain. Like, what do you want to see? How do mm -hmm. your students learn? You're teaching third grade. How do we need to present this to the third grader? Yeah. How do we need to present this to middle schoolers? What are they interested in? And really getting that information and putting that into the program. Yeah. Is, is Jerry Sanders there now? She's, she's, she's not there anymore. Why did I think that she had come from the Black Archives and was doing some programming with, um, when they did the thing with Chuck Haddix for Bird? I guess yeah, I yeah. Jerry, Jerry, Jerry was there. She was, she, I believe she was the either senior manager or director of collections. Okay. We actually just brought on uh, Dr., um, Dr. Bennett, who was actually uh, working at the Jazz Museum right around when it first opened or in 97 it opened in 97 i think she came to work at the jazz museum okay. in 99 under dr uh Rowena. so she's actually back as our collection but prior to that jerry was in that position okay and i just asked because i had met her over at the black archives but one thing i love about the jazz museum in the last five years is that changing gallery it's yeah when you walk into the right yeah, yeah. the top yeah. exhibit is there right now that yeah, is have you been there to see it, trust me, it's on the list. I'm hoping to get vaccinated. Yeah, week. yeah. I've been, it's I've there been, till April 26th. That, that is some badass stuff. Every time I've been in one of those, I come yeah. out of there like, again, why isn't everybody in Kansas City checking this out? Forget about school kids. Just this is cool stuff yeah. happening. And right. Right. I guess the, the only thing that I've always wanted to see, 
and maybe you can get on this too, is, is the film collection, the John Baker film collection. So when we would take the kids down there, they would show us, I mean, I think there are like four or six clips you can choose from, but one of them was this group of dancers. I don't remember if it was Callaway, who the performance was, but these young couples, they're, they're black couples, African-American couples, they are busting some serious moves. Yeah, 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 so yeah. I've got these eighth graders, these sixth graders who think they know all their whatever, cha-cha, yeah. <laughs> on, and I'm like, you ain't got nothing on these people. They're like <laughs> athletes throwing each other. And yeah. I'm like, I've always heard that there's just a gold mine of films somewhere that the museum, you know, has the rights to. It's just going through the archives, I guess, and getting those out into the public. I'm just thinking back to your virtual things. Like if I could be a kid in New York or a teacher in Tokyo and have access to some of those archival I'm pronouncing it right films that's a that could be a real recruiting you know just a just a gold mine for you there well you see Chris Patrick thinks he's Patrick thinks he's slick he like knows some stuff and he's trying to prod me to get me so I ain't gonna go in I'm just gonna say that what you're saying right now is it's definitely in the works and Mr. Rodney Thompson uh one of our um resident filmmakers down the district that John H. Baker collection is is definitely getting some work on it. Okay. So just just be looking forward to it. Good to hear. Mm -hmm. okay. yeah. So I have a quick question for you. And this kind of goes back to your like your music like knowledge and how you started coming back. You said that you kind of went from loving funk and R and B and soul into hip hop. What mm -hmm. then got you to jazz? Because uh, I'd be interested because for me, it's like one specific moment. <laughs> Um, as being like a big hip hop fan, there was this interview, it's like really popular on YouTube, where Most Def is talking about his love of MF Doom. And he's mm -hmm. talking about how they were the same person growing up. Like he knew that, like even though he had never met Doom, he knew him. And he's like, we grew up listening to the same records. And he named Bitches Brew, um, mm -hmm. Charles Mingus's Black Saint and the Sinner Lady, and like three other records. Yeah, And I immediately, because I'd always gravitate towards like the jazzy beats, right? Like mm -hmm. if there's a jazz sample, like that's, that's probably going to be my favorite song on the album. Uh, yeah. Right. And right. then right. like once he like listed off all these records that he used to listen to as a child, I was like, well, I have to go listen to those now. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if that, if you had like a similar path to like actually like understanding or like appreciating jazz music. Yeah, I did. When I was when I was growing up in the in the Bay Area, I, I listened to two shows. I listened to um, uh, Swain King Tech Wake Up Show, uh, and I listened to um, I Sway, think of, the state Sway of was, Sway of Sway's Universe, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they had a wake up show on KMEL, so yeah. that's why I got all my hip hop, just the everything. Um, and I would listen to. Um, I believe this, the station at Stanford is, it might be 99.1 or 90 something, it's 90 something or 89 something. They used to have a hip hop show that would come on at like 10 or 12 at night on Stanford's radio station. So you know how college radio stations are, they gonna, you know, the they're kids gonna, are running it. You know? Yeah, loop, they're gonna dig <laughs> yeah. for, they're gonna dig for the, the stuff. In the yeah, case. yeah, exactly. So that's when I got introduced to um, stuff like um, Souls of Mischief, which is a, a, a rap group out of Oakland, California, yep. but they're 
jazz influences, it's pretty much they're they're scatting and it's jazz pretty much. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Just they're just rapping over. And their patterns and their the way they put things together was was really uh, like improvisational. They kind of had a real freestyle aesthetic to them. So then I would listen to Freestyle Fellowship and then the thing that but the actual turning point was my mom was telling me, she said, um, Diggable Planets was on. I was listening, it was on playing in the background or something, Rebirth of Slick or something. And she was like, um, oh, that's what you need to be doing. You know, real dismissive to me, like, whatever you're doing, ain't nothing. you need to be doing that kind of rap. And I remember thinking, well, yeah, yeah. I like Diggable, you know. Yeah. I remember thinking, oh, she's coming down on me. And I remember thinking, I like Diggable Planets, but I was like, that's, that's just kind of like commercialized compared to the Souls of Mischief stuff. Like, these guys sure. are all yeah. other stuff, you know what yeah. I mean? So, what happened was I rebelled against my mother. Kids, don't rebel against your parents, man, even when they don't know. I rebelled against her. I was like, just because you told me I should be doing jazz and rap, I'm not doing it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do something different. I'm not going to do Souls of Mischief. So 34 years later, in 2014, when I found myself just sitting in 18th of mine, I'm like, yeah, she told me to do this. <laughs> so that, that's how that all came full circle. And I was sitting, I called my mom one day, I was like, Remember when you told me back in 1990, whatever, I should be kind of, kind of bringing jazz around? I was like, yeah, that, that's kind of, but the interesting part about that is I don't think that would have happened if I wouldn't have had the cultural background with the 18th and Vine district to do that. Like you, anybody can say, well, I'm just going to do jazz. And what people don't, and if people that think about jazz, it's a very uh, niche type of situation it can be very elitist as far as how people view what it is so if you don't come into it with some type of connection to something that they deem as authentic and genuine to jazz then you just can't participate you know what i mean they're they're, they're yeah. like that and um those musicians put a lot of time in that to be able to say those type of things you know mm. uh, so coming to 18th and vine and then having the knowledge of what kind of music I really liked as a hip hop fan growing up. Uh, and then my mom, and then it was like, oh, okay, it all came together. James McGee, who among many things is on the board of directors with the Mutual Musicians Foundation, is the creative director, also recently has taken the position of senior manager of visitor and virtual experience at the American Jazz Museum. And James, we are just having a great time talking to you about, first of all, just your life between California and Kansas City, your involvement in just surrounding music your entire life, becoming an artist yourself, 
transitioning to back to Kansas City, getting involved with the 18th and Vine area. And uh, we're just thrilled to have you here today. You both doing all right? I'm doing great. Yeah, yeah, feeling good. I appreciate it. It's been a fun conversation. Yeah, and I, we're always glad to have Chris Mowry take part in these conversations. Um, I think we were both super interested in hip hop. That was a great question, too. I feel like hip hop was like the gateway drug to jazz music for me, like here in old yeah. Jay, like later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I know we could talk all day about that. We'd like to do these last couple of segments. What, James, what's something you like about Kansas City? What's something you love about this town? And if you don't like anything, that's okay too. I've never really told that to anybody. You know what, you know, and Kansas City is, Kansas City is home. You know, it's, and when I say it's home, I mean like, when I come to Kansas City, when I go out of town, like on tour or something like that, or, and I, and I get back into the city and I'm coming into, uh, if I'm coming on 70 uh, East or if I'm flying in and I see the downtown skyline, it's almost like I'm walking in my house before I even get to my house. I feel hmm. very comfortable here. Kansas City is a, is a great incubator. I mean, um, people talk about the, the mild manneredness we have here and maybe that it may not be as fast as other towns, but that's the perfect place to develop things. You know what I mean? There's, there's a re reason why Google came here and, and these people are starting to kind of come in because they, they got room and space to develop. And I love that about Kansas City. I love, I love that even if you're a little different outside of the box, you can find a, a community to be a part of in Kansas City. And a lot of places in the Midwest or the South and other parts, that's hard to find, you know. You know, you would think people maybe from the outside think, oh, Kansas City's Midwest and, you know, it's very conservative, whatever. But uh, like Chris was saying, you know, like th there are pockets and there are communities you can get into that are active and lively. And, um, you know, at least within that community, support each other. And uh, I love that about Kansas City. I, I love the very home feel um, because that feeling makes you feel comfortable as a uh a business person or an artist that, hey, I can develop something here. It's, mm -hmm. it's safe here while I'm developing it. I'm, I'm safe here while I'm developing it. Now, I'm sure your follow-up question is what you don't like about Kansas City, but, um, you know, that's kind of um, the opposite side of the coin. Sometimes it's a little too safe. It's a little too comfortable. It doesn't give that extra edge and that push that we need. Um, we hesitate to claim things that we, that we have. Um, I hear people say all the time, oh, Kansas is full of great artists. Don't tell me, tell everybody else. Tell the rest of the world how great the artists are. You don't need to tell me that. You know what I mean? And, we kind of, and that's where we kind of miss the mark sometimes, is like claiming our own greatness and putting it out there and like being definitive. Okay, this is what we're going to do. When I was going to Austin uh, back in the uh, mid-90s, early 2000s, and as, as South by Southwest de was developing, I think they started in like 87 or 88, but it started getting really big, like in the nineties, you know what I mean? Like where it was just kind of outside of a regional thing. And I was, happened to be talking to one of the, um, the uh, music, someone that was on a music commission there in Austin. First of all, they have a music commission for the city that actually sits in government and does, looks out for the musicians and artists and stuff like that. And I was like, how did you guys get the name music capital of the world. He said, somebody was in mean, they just said it. We just took it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that it was easy. that simple. Yeah, he was like, he was like, yeah, he's like, you gotta think about it. We're in Texas. This is not the cultural capital of the world. This is oil and real estate money. You know what I mean? Like this is 
So we just said it, and there it was. And I think in Kansas City, we we hesitate to do that. We mm-hmm. hesitate to say, this is what we got. This is what we are. And this is what we got for you guys. This is what we have to offer. Because we'll take it. Kind of trademark that. We need to talk to Popper down the street. He's the, he's the master of that. Landmark this. He's got about 20 different titles. <laughs> you bring up a really – I mean, that's fascinating. Because that is kind of what your mom was trying to tell you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> grandfather to, to yeah. Kansas City, right. um, I think that you can find your niche here. And Chris, we've talked about this on a previous program, though. It, you can get so comfortable. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because it's cost of living. Yeah. You feel like you got to bust your chops or really, yeah. you know, go go pedal to the metal to make it happen because it's it's not that much of a grind. To yeah, be yeah. yeah, yeah. Enough gigs. Uh, that's that's fascinating. It, and as someone who's, you know, not only lived in a couple different places for decent spells of time, but traveled and moved around a lot. Do you ever think about that with your kids? Cause I mean, your son, again, he's, he's getting close to the age where he's going to be moving on age 18. You ever encourage him to get out and explore or stay in Kansas city or just do whatever the heck he wants to do? Well, that's in their DNA. You know, uh, the first time I took my kids out to California, the first thing they want to do is like, where are the surfboards and the boogie boards? I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. You've never even seen the ocean. I got those kids on those boogie board surfboards. They were on the shit. Like, I, I guess it's in the DNA. They were like, oh, yeah. you know, you've talked about this and we're going to do it. But with my kids, the interesting thing about them, especially my oldest son, he is uh, an explorer. He's, he's first thing smoking. He's getting on the plane, train, wherever to go. He's been to Spain and all these different places. But because of the upbringing his mother and I have given him, he was like, I want to take all those experiences and bring them back to Kansas City. I'll keep doing what you guys are doing. You and my mom stayed here because you want to contribute to the community. My, my uh, stepmom, Kendra, you guys want to contribute to the community. You guys, for all intents and purposes, intellectually are people that maybe should be where people think like people like you should be at, whatever, whatever that means. You know what I mean? Um, where you can, you're using your mind in a creative way and there's perfect fertile ground for it. And he's like, I'm going to come back and contribute that. He works at the Black Archives. You know what I mean? So, is he? Yeah. Did you tell me is he like president of the student body at Lincoln? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you, a bunch of my former students have got to be crossing paths with him. But that's yeah. exciting. Yeah, you know, I think that is exciting. I think yeah. that our younger generation really feels some activism these days. Yeah, yeah. like I can't just sit by passively. If I want to make things better, yeah, baby boomers messed it all up for us, and mm-hmm. they ain't gonna fix it. <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah. yeah. Seriously. <laughs> And I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna stand for yeah. things that aren't right, whether it's right. economic independence, right. whether it's right. social mm-hmm. injustice, et cetera, et cetera. Like seasons changing, yeah, it's that kind of story we were more than smoke and mirrors. Oh, I've touched you myself with these two hands. I can feel my heart beat loudly. Oh, I miss you myself. 
yourself with my heart. Now you see me, now you don't. How about the music What's something you feel like this town needs or should change, could do better? And again, you've seen it from a lot of different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Curious your thoughts on that. And we can cut all this out too. Oh, yeah, see, <laughs> because um, if I give up that, you know, I might be giving up some game on some moves I'm trying to make here in a minute. I'm, but you know what? I'm a, I'm a fair competitor, man. I, I will let you know what terrain you're on with me. And mm-hmm. what I'll say is, um, and it's a very simple thing, uh, what, we're, what we're missing, if I, if I had something that could be desired, can't see, it, it goes back to, again, identifying ourselves and claiming it and standing on it and pushing it. Mac Lethal told me something one time and I was looking at him like he was half crazy because we were kind of drinking or whatever, I don't know. And we were doing a show. I was like, man, you know, um, we were talking about touring or something. And I was like, how'd you build your fan base? He's like, I just crammed it down their throats. I just push it down their throat. I don't care. I just cram it down their throats. And I was thinking, oh, how how arrogant. You know, I'm thinking, man, what the, nobody wants to hear that. But as I thought about it, I was like, yeah, you know, and that's what I think Kansas City is missing is like, if we're not going to be an aggressive town as far as our grind, we have to be aggressive in what we're promoting to the world. Mm-hmm. You know, very intentional about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that will open the door to a lot of things. Um, even with like, uh, you know, Chris is at uh, Lemonade Park. One thing I used to do with shows and everybody doesn't do this because they don't want to get involved in that thing. You know, I, I will tell people, um, are you bringing a crowd? Are you hustling as an as a musician? You want me to pay you five hundred yeah. bucks cool? Can you bring fifty people at ten dollars a head so I can at least break even off of you? You know what I'm saying? Like, don't put it all on me. And that's that's me speaking from the promoter side. I'm an artist, but I understand the business side as well. It's like, don't demand things that you can't produce yourself. If you can produce it yourself, then we can partner. I've got a venue. You've got a following. I can help promote and push to your following, and we can all win together. Uh, and I think that's one thing that that's on the musicians in Kansas City. Straight up, I, ain't gonna, I don't care who doesn't like it or not. The hustle has got to be there. You have to be able to show value. And what I would used to do with some things, I, I mean, I'll put you on the bill based on um, your talent first. And are you promoting? Are you pushing what you're doing? Or are you going to sit back and hope that people just show up because I'm booking your show at the riot room and you know Westport has a thousand people a night there anyways so they're going to filter through no 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 you're not going to win off of what we already got what are you bringing to the table yeah that's one thing I desire to see Kansas City do is for for us to get out there like that and I think that's something people got to learn too like Mm -hmm. I I booked my first show when I was like 15 years old Mm. all I did was book the show and give the venue a flyer. It was the hurricane. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's all I thought. Like, I yeah. thought that's what you do, and yeah. then people will just go. Right. right? But that's mm-hmm. not how it works. And right. you really have to keep keep pushing in constant. If, if people start getting annoyed at your social media, yeah. fuck them, honestly. Yeah. Like, just <laughs> yeah, like, right. keep pushing yeah. your shit. Yeah. And yeah. like, if people keep being like, I don't want to see, yeah. then they're not, they're, they don't care about what you're doing creatively. Right, right. And you like, them out why, there. why do you have them with them? Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but you just gotta, you just gotta keep like it, it. Sometimes it seems too much to just constantly be promoting something over and over and over yeah. just into the yeah. void of yeah. Facebook or Twitter or right. whatever. Yeah. But right. I mean, that's what it takes. Like, exactly. But I tell people all the time, like, how do you buy 
a McDonald's hamburger. You know how much they push that shit in your face? You're not telling them you're annoyed by it. You go pull up to McDonald's or wherever you're going. Everything you buy or you're involved in in the world pretty much, especially in American culture, it's been pushed down your throat. Like you wouldn't know about it. I mean, there's a few of us that kind of dig and, you know, we kind of find these things. But for the most part, the car you drive, you're not driving some off-brand ass car. You're driving a damn Hyundai or a Subaru. You saw the commercial a thousand times. So you decide to go get one. You know what I mean? So same thing with music. And I think a lot of our artists don't look at the music as a commodity. Once it comes out of your house or your basement or your studio and you put it in the public, it's a commodity. It's no longer just your thing. You know what I mean? Like, so, yeah. From the label's perspective, I mean, obviously we want to find artists who we think are the most talented. You got to have the goods, right? Right, yeah. It has become increasingly clear. If you're not going to promote yourself, if you if I don't see you on social, if I don't see you talking about people, if I don't know you can put 50 butts in the seat that the menu that I just put you for, yeah, it's actually not going to work. It's, right. it's, it's going to be pulling teeth. Right. That's, and I would tell people, like, in bands that I manage, I'm like, Hey, uh, like I never see any of you at shows. Yeah. 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 And they're like, they're like, uh, yeah, well I got a big kid job and I do, I'm like, well, how, how are you supposed to ingrain yourself into the community? And like, people know who you are every time Mm -hmm. you show up. Right. And it's not like a, Oh, I didn't know that you were in that bit. Like you have to put yourself in it and like really like give yourself to it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like just go to shows just to be there and be around other musicians and like talk to them yeah, yeah. you you also touched on um and this has kind of been a theme on a few shows but you know like the fact that austin has a music commission i feel like you know is kansas city's business leadership i don't put it on the government necessarily going to ever realize what a cash cow that could be for this town if they developed the music art specifically, I've got nothing against dance or drama. I'm all down for the Nelson. Don't get me wrong, but realize we're just dripping with talent here. And if we could just support these artists, support venues, I mean, it's become critically clear during the pandemic with venues, um, help them with promotions. Is that ever crossed your mind too? Like we just can't make that stamp of wanting to have that. I'm, I'm, I'm deep in negotiations with that. You know, like you said, I got my hands a lot of things. There are a few uh, city committees that I'm bringing to them like, hey, this would be a great uh, piece to add to what you're doing or it's not even create itself, um, that musician community, because I've seen what it's done for other cities and stuff. And um, it's, it's just, it's more of a thing of, if you say the same thing so much to the same people, you get to a point to where it's like, okay, they're not going to do it. I'm going to have to do it myself. And that comes back to the whole reason why I'm at 18th and Vine. Right. I'll look here and I'll show you. I can show you better than I can tell you. And mm-hmm. then you can just pay us for it. You know what I mean? Like we wanted to do it on, on a voluntary basis, but now you can, I've developed it. Now you can just buy it or whatever, you know. Um, but I think that, you know, honestly, and, and Chris hit, hit on the head uh, on this point earlier about the timing of Kansas City's identity when it started to kind of switch over. I don't know what happened, but after Tom Pendergast went to jail, everybody got scared. They're like, we're not going to, you know what I'm saying? We're not thinking outside the box. Big Tom had the, had the city popping, man. I'm just saying, you know what I mean? Like for all the corruption that was going on, it was, it was popping. It was the Paris of the Plains, the Las Vegas before Las Vegas. And we as a city want that, especially the actual, when I say the city, I mean like the business people of the city, the city council that want to bring money into it. They want that. 
Mm-hmm. But that comes with a certain level of commitment. Like you got to let your artist have their room. And as far as the musicians go, if you think of any community, whether it's Greenwich Village in the 60s, whether it's Haight-Ashbury in the 60s, whether it's uh, different pockets, the musicians are the Pied Pipers. You, t- you get the musicians out there, your visual artists are going to succeed. Your performance artists are going to succeed because we're like the s- spokespeople. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like when they see the spokespeople out there, they say, oh, Kansas City's got, it's, it's much easier for them to identify with that than say a prolific artist from Kansas City. I mean, because art's very, it's about your taste, but a hit is a hit. You know what I'm saying? Like whether yeah. it's Bull Mud or who, who, Tech Nine or whatever, a hit is a hit. Mm-hmm. And it brings attention to the town. And right. it's, a, it's a great advertisement for the town. That's right. what we do. And uh, if, if you look at music now in, in this uh, time, that's how people make money off music. Music is just an advertisement at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's an advertisement. So the city, it would behoove the city to use its advertisers to advertise its assets. I'll say that. Uh, and it's something too, like, of course, LA has, like everybody's out in LA, right? But we need to figure out a way where like, dudes like Dom Sanders and Justice West don't have to go to LA. Yeah. They go, they go hey, yeah. you come here and record yeah. with me here yeah. in Kansas yeah. City, you know? Like it needs to be like, I understand, like I get, I'm not stupid. I know that everybody's in LA. So yeah. like you go to LA to go mingle in those circles and get right. your foot in the door. Right. But, and, and those two guys for sure, they have like both places, like they go back right. and forth. Right. But like right. a lot of artists for a long time just left. Oh yeah. And that was it. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. and they just stayed wherever yeah. they went to, they went yeah. to Nashville, they went to yeah. LA. Yeah. Now it's like, all right, so go build that clout and come back and now bring those people here. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, if somebody asked me about that, uh, I forgot who it was, I was having a meeting at the jazz museum and they were asking me, well, why don't the artists come back to Kansas City and bring it? And I, I had to really think about that. I was like, well, yeah, they, we do have a, a lot of producers, writers, musicians. Uh, as far as Kansas City goes in the industry, we're in there. We, we, we are in there. Like we're, 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 in in the, we're in there in the cuts and all that kind of stuff. We, are, we, are, we have like the, I, probably the, probably except for like Nashville, we have yeah, like yeah. the most amount of roadies and like production <laughs> yeah, people, yeah. like production yeah. managers and things like that. Yeah. They're just everywhere. Yeah. We're, we're, we're definitely in there. And the only thing I can, the only answer I can give that person was, I think that it's the Charlie Parker thing. And people have this thing about, oh, Charlie Parker didn't want it. He didn't want to be buried in Kansas City. What it was, was he was like, you go where you're celebrated, not tolerated. Mm. And a lot of people here, they feel like they're tolerated. And they go to places like LA and they're celebrated for what they bring. And mm. Kansas City, a lot of times, doesn't celebrate our people. We don't make way. If you go to a place like LA, or, or Hollywood or whatever, it is built for those people. It's built for them. You know what I'm saying? That's why they get away with crazy shit out there, like mm. driving off a cliff, being drunk, and don't go to jail for it because this is where you come do that shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. This, this is part of our economy. But one thing I have been studying is Nashville. Chris brought that up because Nashville is like a lot of people that aren't like in the industry or they're more pop or commercial. They don't understand like what kind of muscle Nashville has. Yeah, it's not just it's not just country music down there. No, it's everything. No, no. They got yeah, everything over yeah. there. They, I mean, they got they're writing like they got like factories basically like of people churning out music to go to uh, you know and Nashville. And there's a reason why BMI has an office there and all these different performance mm-hmm. rights organizations. And Nashville is really 
basically like Kansas City, just in Tennessee, you know what I mean? Like, you know, um, and I've been studying that, just kind of seeing how they do that. I got some friends that live out there. They make like 80 grand a year on staff writing. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's like a Cerner job here, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. but in Nashville, that is the factory. That is the Cerner job, you know, so. Yeah. James McGee, I can see you've been contemplating deeply about many things. I'm really enjoying that that advertise its assets. Yeah. yeah. That loud and clear and celebrate your artist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You combine those two things, I think you both just went, we got all the components. Right, right. You're not aware of it. Yeah. Uh, this has been a fantastic conversation, James. I really appreciate your time. You know, I've been pestering you for a while. As most of our guests, Chris, for whatever reason, they seem reluctant. We're yeah. running on a sweet wait period. I'm begging. Um, thanks so much for sharing everything. And we're taking you away from your child's six-month birth anniversary. Okay. Happy birthday. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we're going to let you get back to your family. Best of luck uh, with everything with the jazz music. That's exciting. And, of course, want you to continue to – partner with us and, and keep talking scheming about the foundation Please oh, yeah. give our Mr. Hathaway everybody over there absolutely love them um Chris thanks for thanks for manning the mic again and um looking forward to seeing you at Lemonade James we'd love to have you as our guest we're gonna have a showcase there in June if you're needing a a night out with the missus I think um, that'll be about the time I think okay that'll be about the time. Yeah. June 18th it's the day before Juneteenth I'll, I'll hook you up on that but Cool, cool. Really appreciate it, gentlemen. Kansas City, stay safe, stay strong. Peace out.